Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Koinonia Church Message Library. Our hope is that today's message encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We are confident that God's Word is living and active and is relevant for us today. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Good morning, Nathan. Good to see you all. Deep in your conversations. This is good. We're a family, right? Families connect. Families care about each other. They want to know what's going on in each other's lives. So good. Well, this morning, as uh, Rebecca was sharing, we're beginning a new series. You ready for a new series? Okay. <laughs> it's the, un- the Gospel Unfolded. The Gospel Unfolded. And we're going to be focusing in on the Joseph story in the Old Testament. That's Genesis 37 through 50, if you're not sure where to find that. And uh, it's, it's going to be, a, we're going to do a deep dive into this story because it is rich, it is full. There, is, there are so many things buried in this story for us to discover together. And they give us a picture of who Jesus is as well. They give us a picture of God's redemption and his love for us. So it's going to be a great time together. When we read the Bible, we have to read it carefully because it's, it's not just like any other book. It's an ancient book, and it's actually a collection of books, 66 of them. And the Bible wasn't written directly to you and me, but it was written for us. So as we approach it, we need to be aware of what we're reading so that we can interpret it properly. And first and foremost, the thing that the Bible is doing is it's revealing God. It's revealing who God is to us. It's God revealing himself. That's his intent through Scripture. And it's also God revealing his plan, his unfolding plan and story of redemption. That's what, it's, what he's doing there. Um, if you could put up that graphic, I have a, uh, a fancy laser pointer today. I'm very excited about using it. Yeah. I don't think I've ever used a laser pointer before, so this is like a new day for me. I'm just, I, I am so excited. All right, does it, does it show up? Can you see that? Okay. Yeah, there's even a star. I got a fancy one off of Amazon so it's not just the dot. And um, so there, there are three stories we, we need to keep in mind as we're, as we're reading this story about Joseph. And even as we're reading all of Scripture, we need to keep three things in mind. And the first thing is God's story. Did you know God has a story? It's the story of his unfolding redemption, as I mentioned earlier. It's the story of how God loves his people who have fallen into sin and is at work to redeem them. And then this is what we see here. We see God. Can you see my star on God right there? Okay. And creation, how he created all that we see around us and how God created um, humanity and loved them, made them in his image, and then there came sin as humanity doubted and questioned God's love, 
right? Ever question God's love? No? Is it just me? Maybe somebody else should come up here and talk to you. I don't know, man. I've certainly questioned God's love, but that, that's at the root of sin. We question God. We question whether He loves us, whether, he, whether He's in this for Himself or in this for us, whether He really cares. And so sin happens, but God makes a promise that one day somebody born of a woman is going to crush the head of the serpent, is going to undo the work of the enemy of God, Satan, and is going to bring redemption. And then God chooses a family to bring about this redemption because he's got to get this human into the, this God-man into the world somehow, right? So he picks a family and he picks Abraham and then comes Isaac and then comes Jacob, who also is called Israel. And here's Joseph. Joseph is one of his sons and he's in the middle and his name is big, not because he's more important than God or Jesus. For those of you who are like, oh boy, Joseph is more important than Jesus, is he, Pastor Nathan? No, he is not. It's so that you can remember that we're talking about Joseph, right? And then we see Judah, who's one of the sons of, of uh, Jacob or the sons of Israel. And that's where King David comes from. And that's where Jesus comes from who dies on the cross. And you see this right here? Do you recognize that? That's a you are here icon. So I, we didn't measure this, you know, to try and figure out exactly every millimeter represents 10 years or, you know, we didn't get into that. But you can see that somewhere in here, this is where you and me, this is where we are. And then there's an undetermined number of years ahead because no one knows the day or the hour, regardless of what the people on the internet try and tell you. And one day, we are going to see the fullness of God's redemption. We're going to see new creation in all of its glory. Are you looking forward to that? I'm looking forward to that. I will have hair again. <laughs> you know, our human tendency is to read Scripture and put... No, that's the wrong button. There it is. That was the flashlight feature. <laughs> Oops. There's supposed to be an infrared feature here too, but I have to get out some, um, some paper money and find out if it works. Anyway, we tend to put ourselves at the center of the story as we read the Bible. We ask questions like, okay, I'm reading. I'm re oh, sorry, I don't want to blind anyone. I'm reading and I'm like... You know, okay, uh, what does this have to do with my life? You know, where am I in this story? How does this apply to me? Ever done that before? Yeah. And there is a place for asking some of those questions. But there are other questions to ask first. That's the important thing. It's all about order. See, if, if I go to Scripture and the first thing I'm looking for is how this applies to me, what's going to happen is I'm going to take things out of context. I'm going to start reading things into the Bible that God never intended to say, like the time when I was much younger, and I was reading James, and I came across how I needed to wait for God and, and, and his, you know, his timing, and it was all about the return of Jesus, but somehow I managed to read into this that it was just a matter of time before God gave me the green light to go out with the girl that I really liked. <laughs> because I wasn't considering the bigger picture. 
It had absolutely nothing to do with that. It was about the return of Jesus and the new creation, right? That's what it was about. Or we can be reading through Scripture and we're asking these questions, where am I in this story? How does this apply to me? And we hit numbers and the genealogies. And we're like, what does this have to do with my life? Well, you know what? Gene- I, just so you know, I mean, I don't like sense the presence of the Holy Spirit as I'm reading the genealogies. Maybe I should keep myself open to that. But... <laughs> There are particular areas of the genealogies where I'm, it touches my heart because there's some messed up people just like me in those genealogies, right? But that's what it tells us. It tells us that God cares about people. So when I'm reading those genealogies, when my, when my spirit brain is turned on, when I, I can see that. Wow, look at all these people named by God. Like, God could have just said, yeah, there were like uh, 300,000 people, and moving on. But he doesn't, he names these people. Why? Because he cares about people. And when we look at those genealogies, we see some people with issues, like I was saying. And we can be encouraged by that because all of us have issues, right? We're all agreed. Yeah. Or we get to the Old Testament laws, and we're like, what on earth does this have to do with anything? Like these goats, people laying hands on their head, they're getting, going off into the wilderness. Well, when you understand what you're reading, that you're reading God's story, you realize that some of this stuff actually is revealing the heart of God and pointing to the Savior, right? So we have to keep God's story in mind as we read. God is revealing himself. So when we approach Scripture, the first thing we need to ask is, as I'm reading this, how is God revealing himself in what I'm reading? And how is what I'm reading contributing to the big God story? Because all of it is. All of the Bible, all of Scripture is God unfolding his plan of redemption little by little by little And if we ask the Holy Spirit, he will enable us to see that. And once we've done that, then we can zoom in on that spot right there. You are here. And you can begin to ask. I can begin to ask, okay, in light of what I'm seeing here about who God is and what God is up to in the big picture, how does this speak to my heart and my life and my situation? You with me? You with me? Okay, either that was so profound that you were just like in awe and you can't come up with any sounds. <laughs> no, I want to make sure you're with me. All right, so that's the framework that we're going to be using as we get into the story of Joseph. So Genesis 37 is where we're going to begin, and it's Genesis 37, 1 through to 11 that we're going to look at today. And this is the story that talks about Joseph's dreams. So here we go. Verse 1, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, 
because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, guess what? They hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream. And he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time, the sun, the moon, and precisely 11 stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Let's take a moment and pray as we get into this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are unfolding the gospel to us in your word. You're revealing your character to us. As we get into the story of Joseph today and over the coming weeks, we pray that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in your word to see your love, to see your power, to see your wisdom, to see your grace, and that you would speak specifically to our hearts as well about what you want to do in our lives. We are grateful for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. So this is where we need to take a quick look at the big picture Because God had promised Abraham the land of Canaan. And Abraham is the father of Isaac, and Isaac is the father of Jacob, who is also called Israel. So you can see this relationship going on here. And what is happening in what we're about to read from Genesis 37 through to 50 is God showing us how he's at work in Abraham's descendants in his people. See, the book of Genesis is the book of origins. It's the book of beginnings. It tells us the beginning of the world. It tells us the beginning of sin and the beginning of the fallout of sin. It tells us also about the beginning of God's people, and that is what this story in Joseph is all about. And it's going to tell us how Joseph and, his, and the children of Israel ended up in Egypt, That's what it's going to point us to. So Joseph's story is also showing us how God is fulfilling his promise to Abraham. Because God made a promise to Abraham, and he said, Through you, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And that includes you and I. We are here in this room because God kept his promise to Abraham. Did you know that? That's why we're in this room. Because God kept his promise. 
And just before this, um, what we just read in chapter 36 is the lineage or the account of how Esau was expanding, Jacob's brother and the descendants he had. Now we're about to find out what God was up to in the life of Jacob. And this is all part of the bigger story that you see in front of you right there of how God is unfolding his plan of redemption. So verse 2, it says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers and the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. This is setting up what's about to happen next. See, Joseph is the second youngest son of that Jacob or Israel has, and he's 17 years old. I want to point that out for a moment. How many 17-year-olds do we have in the room? Any teenagers? Oh, yes, you look 17, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this, this tells me that God cares about teenagers. It tells me God cares about children. It got, tells me that God can do big things through teenagers that he will entrust teenagers with big dreams. That's not just my opinion. That's what God is doing in this story. God is working through a teenager, a 17-year-old, who told his father all the bad things that his brothers were doing. (laughs) At first, this might look like just your regular average family, you know, the 17-year-old who's tattletailing on his brothers. We're not sure exactly what they did or whether even what he said was true, but that's, that's what he's doing. But when we take a closer look at this family, we discover this, this is not a normal family. Let me illustrate. Jacob, Israel, had multiple wives. Now, this wasn't like one after the other. This was all at the same time. We've got some polygamy going on here. Leah is one of them, and she, just to give you a little bit of background here, because you've got to understand the dynamic, the family dynamic that is going on here. Jacob was tricked into marrying Leah, right? There was this whole weird, strange thing happened on the wedding night. If you read the account, some of you are like, seriously? Where are they going to scrolling back? Yeah. Laban, the father of Leah, tricked Joseph or um, Jacob, rather, into marrying Leah. And Jacob didn't want to marry her. And guess what? Leah knew that. And it specifically says that she felt unloved. And then there's Rachel. Rachel is the wife that Jacob actually wanted to marry from the beginning. So he's a fav- she is his favorite. And then there's Bilhah, so what happens is Leah starts just having kids, one after the other. Woo! If you read it, it's like, wow, some serious, uh, yeah, anyway. So, <laughs> lots of kids happening, and, and Leah's, Leah's having lots of children very easily, while Rachel isn't. She's barren, right? And so she gets jealous, And it specifically says the reason why Leah is wanting to have more and more kids is because she hopes that by having children, she will become loved by Jacob. Isn't that sad? Wow. And so so what happens is Rachel's like, man, 
I'm not having kids. My sister's beating me because they were sisters, right? Leah and Rachel. So she's like, she's winning in the whole offspring side of things. And so she's like, I know what I'll do. I'll Because they each had these servants, these maids um, that worked with them in the household. And she's like, I know, brilliant idea. I will give Bilhah, my, my servant, to Jacob so that she can have offspring on my behalf. Now we got three wives going on here. And, and not to be outdone, now Leah's like, this isn't, I'm not having any of this. Here's Zilpah, my, my servant. And so now Jacob has four wives. And this, let, let me just remind you with my fancy pointer, this guy, Jacob, is part of the line of Abraham that is the special family that God is going to bring redemption through. I'm asking myself, why did you pick this family? Here's an important thing for us to understand as we read Scripture. Just because something's in Scripture doesn't mean it's what God wanted. It doesn't mean that God approves of what Jacob has done in marrying four women. In fact, we know he doesn't because... From the very beginning, the Bible tells us that God's will is for a man to leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, wife, not wives, right? And the two shall become five. No, it doesn't say that. It says the two shall become one, right? It doesn't say the five shall become one. It, it says the two. I know, I know it's basic, but I just want you to see that just because something's in Scripture doesn't mean God's like, oh yeah, this is my will, this is the way... People make choices. Have you noticed? That's what happened back when sin happened. God works with those choices. And we'll get there later on. God just, yeah, he's, he's amazing. He doesn't approve of all of our choices, but he'll work in and through our messed up choices sometimes. So then Joseph brings a bad report to them. Now Israel, this is like, again, wow, what a family. Now Israel, or, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And when his brothers saw that he loved them, how did he know, how did the, the brothers know that, they, that uh, Jacob loved Joseph more than them? Because Jacob didn't keep this to himself. He's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make an ornate robe so that Joseph can wear it and his brothers can be jealous of him. I don't know what he was thinking, but only Joseph got the ornate robe. And now the brothers, the other brothers, see the ornate robe, which is a symbol of, of Jacob's greater love for them. And guess what? They hate him. You know, you would think that Jacob would understand that this was a bad idea because he also grew up in a family where it says that his brother Esau was loved more than him by his dad, and he was loved more than Esau by his mom. And that didn't work out so well, if you know the story. It broke the family apart, broke the brothers apart. You would think that this man Jacob would be able to discern that this was not a good idea and that he would work very hard to avoid repeating the mistakes his parents had made. But he didn't. He fell right into the same trap. Jacob is actually 
the dad is fueling the problems in this dysfunctional family. And unsurprisingly, they see this favoritism, the brothers, and they hate Joseph for it. They can't even speak a kind word to him. Maybe you grew up in a family like that, where the relationships were just really dysfunctional, and you just couldn't speak a kind word to each other because there was competition and jealousy and all of that. God knows how to work in the middle of that kind of thing. Can you imagine the brokenness in this family? Can you imagine the therapy that they could benefit from? Like, man, everything up to this point is preparing us for what comes next. Joseph has a dream. And dreams are a big deal in Genesis. If you read through the book of Genesis, you'll discover that Abraham had a dream when God met with him and revealed the future to him. And Jacob had dreams as well when God appeared to him at Bethel. And Joseph is now having dreams as well. Remember, he's 17. And except for Benjamin, who is his only younger brother, all of his other brothers, the other 10 are older, some of them significantly older. Because you can imagine, if there's that many of them, there's, there's going to be an age gap. Reuben's the oldest. I, there's not, nothing in Scripture that tells us exactly how old they are. But I was reading up on this a little bit because I'm a bit of a geek that way. And um, someone figured out that he was probably between 30 and 35, somewhere in there, when Joseph was 17. So there is a big age gap, all right? So Joseph comes to his brother's. And shares this dream of this, it's kind of an agricultural scene. There's a field and there's different sheaves, which is a bundle of grain, right? Maybe wheat or something like that in a field. And Joseph's um, sheaf is standing up straight and the other 11 sheaves come around it, encircle the sheaf and they bow down. And it's interesting to me that Joseph does not interpret the dream. He just reports. He just says, this is what happened. And the brothers immediately come up with the interpretation. I mean, they were right, but the point is that Joseph didn't interpret it. The brothers do. They think it must be obvious. And it's interesting because the sheaves of wheat, this agricultural situation going on in the dream, has nothing to do with them because they're shepherds, but it has everything to do with what God is going to do in the future. Because it represents the grain. Um, this is a spoiler alert. Most of you hopefully know the story, right? Because you're going to hate me after this. If you know. um, in, in the story later on, it's through grain that Joseph saves his brothers, right? And so God is giving Joseph a glimpse of the future, his preferred future for him. And, you know, when God does that for us, we need wisdom. We need wisdom about who we share that with, when we share that, and how we share these things, the dreams that God puts on the inside of us. And it would seem that Joseph is a bit naive and unwise and perhaps inconsiderate as well, maybe a bit proud. And what's the result? The brothers hate him even more than they did when they saw that ornate robe. Then he has another dream. It's a dream machine. 
You would think that after he saw the reaction of his brothers to the first dream, that Joseph would be like, maybe I should keep this to myself. Or maybe I should just tell my dad, Jacob, you know. But he doesn't. He comes out and he says, I had another dream. And guess what? This time, we were out in, you know, it suddenly has gone from this field on earth to the heavens. <laughs> and the sun, the moon, and 11 stars are involved. And it doesn't say that they were bowing down to Jacob's star. Notice what happens here. It says they're bowing down to him, right? Not something he owns, belongs to him. This, this dream is getting bigger and bigger for Joseph. And essentially, there's the same dreams, right? And his brothers clue in once again. It's hard to miss the fact that there are 11 stars bowing down to their brother, and they become jealous of him. But it says the father, Jacob, kept this in mind. So we have this brewing thing going on in this family. Some trouble is brewing because the brothers went from, being, from hating Joseph to hating him even more, to hating him even more, if that was possible, to becoming jealous of him. Do you see what's happening here? Some serious problems are brewing. And then it says that Jacob's, Jacob, the father, kept this matter in mind, which is also a signal that maybe Jacob is anticipating that this dream could be from God because he knows what it's like to have God give him a dream and see it come to pass. We've got three reasons now why Joseph's brothers hate him. They have a growing, seething hatred for him. The first is because of the evil report. The second is because Jacob loved and favored Joseph more than them. And then the third is because Joseph um, shared two dreams with them. And we get an idea that something is about to happen. So this is the story. I'm just setting things up today for the weeks ahead. This is the story of Joseph and it fits into God's story. Now the question that we're all wondering is, we are here, and how does this story fit with our lives? It's a good question. I'm hoping you can tell me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know what? There are many things that we could look at and see in this story. One of the things that I am struck by the most is the sovereignty of God. In other words, God is demonstrating that he is supreme in authority and power. That he is bigger, right? His story is bigger than anything going on in the smaller stories. Because remember that Joseph felt just like you. He, was, he had his own I'm here moment right? We're looking back on him, but he, he, he could have had one of those icons at his life if we back up the scene. And God is at work sovereignly in this amazing way, unfolding this, this purpose and plan. And one of the ways that this gets revealed the mo in the most profound way, for me anyway, is this, that God works through unlikely imperfect, 
broken people to fulfill his purposes. I don't know about you, but I have hope already (laughs) that God can do something with my life. Because when we look at Jacob's family, as I kind of pointed to earlier, the question becomes, God, why did you choose them? And how on earth are you going to make, make something good of this? We got polygamy and favoritism and hatred and jealousy and like it's just a recipe for disaster. But in the middle of all of this mess, God is sovereign and he's able to work with these people. That's what we see in the story of Joseph. And like I said, it it points to the fact that God cares about teenagers and he cares about children. And this isn't the first time or the only time, I should say, in Scripture where this is the case. God cares about all generations from birth to old age, and God can work with everyone. John the Baptist leapt in the womb when he, when he came into the presence of Jesus in his mother's womb. Like, think about that. You've got a baby that... I think it was about six months old at the time, or uh, six months in the womb, I should say, at the time, um, that recognizes and senses the presence of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that profound? I'm thinking about the kids in this church. I'm, th- I'm thinking about our children. I'm thinking about the children outside of the walls of this church, out, the you know, people we love and care about. And the fact that the Holy Spirit is able to communicate with them. If he can communicate with a baby that's unborn, then he can communicate with anybody. And he loves each one. And I want to encourage you if... if uh, whew. You know, I, I was a teenager. In fact, if you talk to my mom and my dad, you'd find I, I don't remember the times when the presence of God came on me as a, as a child, as young as what they would be able to tell you. But I, it doesn't make me special. It just makes me a regular human that God works through, right? And I, I remember when I was around 17, God giving me a dream to do what I'm doing right now. And I just, I just want to encourage you, if you're a young person and you're listening to this right now or later online, God sees you and he cares and he knows how to communicate with you and he sees big things for you and he wants you to become a part of this big story that he is unfolding. That's what I see in this story. We've got to be careful we don't write people off. I, I, I see in this story that, you know, maybe you're here today, you're listening online, and you're looking back over your life, and you're like, man, I've made a mess of things. Man, I'm so broken. You know, I, maybe you're a parent, and you're looking at this, and you're like, man, I, I messed up my family too. I can relate to this. You know, I, I've created so much brokenness, made so many mistakes, God, I don't know if you could do anything with my life. And because of me, I don't know if you can do anything with my family either. There's hope here. 
You know, sometimes we're tempted to think when we fall and we fail that maybe we're now we're, we have to settle for God's plan B or C or D or E or F or G or H. Maybe you're all the way to Z in your mind. But if you look at this family that God is working through and you see the brokenness and the failings and the faults and the sin, it can give us hope because this is what God sovereignly, almighty, omniscient, omnipotent, this is who God picked. And they weren't plan A, B, C, D, E. It wasn't like he picked a bunch of other people first and they said, no, he picked Abraham and he knew what he was getting into from the very beginning. And he still picked these people. And I believe God wants you and I to know that he's still picking unlikely, imperfect, broken people like you and me. And he is inviting us into his big story. You know, we look back and we look at Joseph and we're like, wow, what a, what a man, what a leader. How amazing. He must have been just an incredible person. I don't doubt that Joseph was a remarkable man. But I don't think he began that way. I think God made him remarkable. I think God led him and taught him, and he just responded. He was just a regular person. He was a 17-year-old tattletale. He was unwise. He, 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 he had a very low EQ. You know, he, he couldn't pick up on what was going on, and he just keeps putting his foot in his mouth, and God's like, you know what? I'll work with this. I, I'm, I'm not scared, you know? God's not intimidated. God not, God's not nervous. He's not like, oh, man, what am I going to do now? He, he was supposed to keep that to himself. Why did it? Again, why did you do it again? You know, that, that's not the way God was looking at this. God is not threatened by our faults and failings. I'm not, I'm not suggesting we should live careless, sinful lives and be like, oh, God will sort it out. It'll be okay. no. Our choices have very real consequences. We see that in this story. I'm not advocating for that. God doesn't want that either. But what he does want us to know is that God is merciful. He's gracious. And he is wise enough and loving enough, powerful enough to take whatever brokenness is in your life or in your family's life and turn it around and do something great. And as I was saying, we look at, back at Joseph's life and we're like, wow, what a man. But you know what? He was just a regular person. And God can do that again. It's going to look different, obviously. You're not going to get <laughs> thrown into a pit, hopefully, and sold as a slave to Egypt, etc., etc. But, but you're going to have a story, too, that fits into God's story. And what God wants us to, do, to know is that he, Jacob had favorites, but God the Father doesn't have favorites. That's what the Bible says. God shows personal favoritism to no one. All God is looking for is for somebody who will say, God, I, if you can do something with the, the mess of my life, I, I'm here, I'm available, and I'm willing to trust you. I'm willing to dream your dreams, God. I'm willing to hear what you have to say 
and I'll make, full, uh, make missteps along the way. I'll mess up. I'll make mistakes. Man, I have. I'm sure I will continue to. I, I'm trying to limit them. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to become wiser. But God, God doesn't make God nervous. He's like, whoever will just respond to me, I'll do something great. I will put you right in the middle of my unfolding plan of redemption. And you can be someone who God works through to bring his salvation into the lives of others. Because that's what God does through Joseph. He brings physical salvation through Joseph. And it's a picture of what Jesus does in bringing spiritual salvation to us. Joseph is a type of Jesus. He's a prophetic picture of who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to accomplish. And I I just want to encourage you today not to write anybody off. Don't write off your kids. Don't write off your siblings. Don't write off your parents or your grandparents. Don't write anybody off. doesn't matter how far they are from God. doesn't matter how broken they are. You're going to find find out in the coming weeks that Joseph's brothers were a messed up group. But God still did great things through them. And God is still doing great things. And he is still loving enough, powerful enough, and wise enough to make something great out of our lives. The thing we have to remember is that we are not the hero in the story. See, Joseph is not the hero of this story. God is. In those first 11 verses that I read for you, God wasn't mentioned once. But he was the one bringing the dream. And he is the one who is unfolding his story. And as long as we remember that God is the hero and we're not, Jesus is the hero and we're not, then God can do whatever he wants to. And that's my prayer I, from, from the time I've been a kid. <laughs> God, I, I just, I want to know you. I want to become like you. And I want to do your will. That's all I want. <laughs> and and I'm, I'm trusting. I'm, I'm, a, I'm trusting God will do what he wants through my life. And I believe that God can do the same through your life. You may not end up on a stage preaching to people. If that's not what God wants you to do, you don't want to do this, trust me. <laughs> Man, you, we got we to gotta hear what heaven is saying to us. We've got to hear the dreams of God that he's dreaming over our lives and just respond and say, God, sure, I'll do that. I'll step into that. Whatever it is that you want, whatever comes with that, whatever heartache comes with that, God, I'm willing I'm willing. Amen. Would you stand with me? I just want to take a moment and pray over all of us. Just bow your heads for a moment. And I I don't know what part of this story resonated with you, but you know, and God knows because he was prompting it and stirring it inside of you. So Heavenly Father, If you want to reach out your hands to God, go and do that. Heavenly Father, I pray for every person under the sound of my voice in this room and online. Lord, myself included, my hands are raised too. Lord, I pray that you would teach us over the coming weeks 
to see our lives and to see the lives of our friends and families and neighbors and co-workers the way you do. And that you would give us faith to believe that you are able to work through unlikely, imperfect, broken people. And Lord, help us to see how you are inviting us into your story so that we, like Joseph, can become agents of your salvation and redemption to the people that you love and we love, that are both near and far. And Lord, I pray that you would stir dreams on the inside of us. (laughs) Night dreams, daydreams, visions, Lord, just images on the inside of us, thoughts that you keep fueling and, and building inside of us, the seed of a dream that comes from you, that you, where you're at the center, Lord, that you would place those in our hearts and cultivate those because each one of us wants to be who you've called us to be, not so we can be glorified, but Jesus so you can be glorified because this is all about you. Jesus, you are the hero of this story. You're the hero of our story. Teach us how to step aside and let you be the hero. Because when we do, people begin to see you. And the light of the gospel begins to shine on them. And their hearts get transformed like you've transformed us. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your graciousness and your kindness towards us to all of our faults and failings. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit sink today's message into your heart, to let it transform you and bring new life. If you want to learn more about Koinonia, you can go to kcf.life to get connected. Thank you for being a part of our community. If today's message encouraged you, we would love for you to rate it and review it and share it with a friend. We love you. Let's continue to build God's kingdom together.